0: Well, I love the chorus of that song. It says, God, I really need you. And yet how often do we not live with that as a reality? We tell God we need him, we go back into our patterns of self-sufficiency. And today Jesus, through Luke's account, is going to show us some different ways in which we can begin to see other people's need for God and our need for God as well. One thing that's been fascinating over the years is to uh, notice how People often find out how much they need help from God when they're helping other people. It's just fascinating how that reveals itself. Every year, a group of you know high school students, college students, even a women's group go down to Cancun, for example, to help orphans to celebrate Christmas with, with the orphanages down there with back to back. And stories come back every year. A group of women will come back. They'll come pull one of us aside and say, it was amazing, I went down there to help the orphan. I got together with a group of friends that I kind of knew, but not really. And during some of our prayer times, somebody shared a a vulnerability, felt like I'm not really a great spouse, feel like I'm not really a good mom, feel like I'm failing. And somebody else said, boy, I felt that way too. Somebody else begins to share that something serious is going on as their marriage is facing some marital infidelity and trying to figure out how to forgive and cope and rebuild from that. Somebody else shares the pressures of the fishbowl of country club living and the expectations of always being on. They said, we went there to help people, but we actually met a group of friends who were really honest that they were hurting with fears and insecurities and difficulties. When we go to help people, sometimes we find out that we need help as well. I'm going down to Cancun in a few weeks mm-hmm. with uh, one of our teams, and it reminded me, last time I was down there, a group of guys were all, you know, digging and shoveling and building the soccer field together. And while we're there, a group of guys, many of which have been coming for a lot of years, but I hadn't met one-on-one, and during the couple of days we are building the soccer field, three separate guys, three separate times, all pulled me aside and said, man, I'm in Bible study for the first time, I'm enjoying coming to Horizon, I've learned more about the Bible in the last year than my whole religious upbringing and all three mention one moment in one sermon that was the most significant to them in the last year. I'm thinking, I wonder what it is. thinking of all the research, all the creative packaging, all the digging into the commentaries we do. What might be that one thing that all three separately mentioned? And they all mentioned a story I've told before, but this was the thing that had the most significance to them, was the story I told about two years ago of when I'm going through Myers and Dry, buying some dry ice for science experiments with the kids. And as I'm there, I'm I'm getting in line. There's a woman in front of me. I don't recognize her from the back, but she's buying lingerie. This is the moment. This is the most significant moment in my sermon, by the way. And I, and and I said, and so I got this image of this woman in front of me, uh, image of her buying lingerie. And in my mind, I'm just about to put those two images together. And I'm like, up, take thoughts captive, renew your mind, look at the dry ice if you need to, whatever it takes. (laughs) And I'm like, thank you, God, for remaining pure and having this sort of moment of victory. I turn back, and the woman turns and looks at me and goes, well, hi, pastor. How are you? <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> All three guys separately mentioned that as the most significant part of my sermon in the last several years. Now why is that? Because when you admit you struggle with lust or anger or impatience or not being thankful enough, people are drawn man, there's something broken in me too. And when Jesus started the church, he wanted the church to be a place that would help the hurting. He wanted to help the hurting. But he also wanted to help everyone realize that they're hurting as well. The church had twofold. that We're supposed to help the hurting and we're supposed to help everyone realize that they're hurting, they're broken, they need God as well. And today Luke arranges a story that's fascinating. It's three stories put together, and it's a little bit like, which one doesn't belong? A leper, a paralytic, and a rich, powerful representative of the Roman government. And Luke's going to put these three things together, these three characters, to help us realize how to see the needs of everyone around us. And how to look in the mirror and see where we need God as well. The story begins with our leper. And from the leper we're going to learn that it's easy to to hide what's broken on the inside when you look good on the outside. And we all come in today and we look good because of our careers or how we are dressed or, or, or the cars we drive. And it's easy to hide what's broken on the inside when you look good on the outside. But this leper can't hide the outside. It says he is full of leprosy. And he sees Jesus and says, Jesus, I got a problem. I got an outside problem. If you're willing, will you heal me? And Jesus says, I'm willing. And Jesus heals him. And now he looks good on the outside. But just because he looks good on the outside, he has not fixed what's wrong on the inside. Because Jesus gives him one command. The man who just changed his life, healed his life, has given him the ability to reconnect with his spouse and family and go to worship now because he's not, has not have leprosy? Jesus says, one thing I want you to do though, don't tell anyone, because I'm doing one-on-one ministry right now, and if crowds show up, it's going to inhibit my ability to do the kind of ministry I want to do. So don't tell anyone except the priest as Moses commanded. And though he's healed on the outside, he will disobey the one thing the man who just healed him told him to do, because he's still broken on the inside. He knows better than Jesus. Ah, Jesus, should are being too humble. Come on, Jesus.
1: People need to know about
0: this stuff. Now, he mentions here, as Moses commanded. One of the things you know, if you're with us over the last year, is that we've been going verse by verse through the book of Leviticus prior to our start in Luke. And when our church began, one of the things we felt was really significant was creating spiritual environments, exploring environments, connecting environments, and equipping environments. And we decide one of the hallmarks of our church, it's actually built into the bylaws of our church, that our church cannot exist without two separate services. That's how strongly we felt about it. And one of those services, our equipping service here on Saturdays, we go verse by verse through the Bible. Because you come to a passage like this, where did Moses command that you're supposed to do something? Well, in Leviticus. So for the last couple of years, we've been studying through the book of Leviticus. Well, wow, that's a great image right there. Um, <laughs> I'll just skip that one. Uh, through the book of Leviticus, we did holy smokes. Before that, we studied the book of Exodus. Before that, we studied the book of Titus. Because you come to a passage like this, and you're like, what is really going on here? And that there's an obscure passage in Leviticus that has never been applied. Never. No Hebrew has ever been healed of leprosy. All through the Old Testament. And Jesus says, go tell the priest, because the priests are going to hear, oh my gosh, you've been healed of leprosy? A Hebrew? Pull out Leviticus. <coughs> We've never even applied this before. The one who can heal the inside and outside must be here. This is a sign that God is visiting with us. And that's what happens. So Jesus moves on and Jesus is going to show that these lepers if you remember if you go back a chapter Jesus is going to show these religious people who look good on the outside that they're broken on the inside now how does he do that? in a pretty fascinating way Jesus, you remember, just finished reading Isaiah 53, and he, or, uh, Isaiah, and he says, these scripture was fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. And hometown heroes like, yes, yes, he's from our synagogue. Yes, he's hometown boy. Yes, we want to, we want to follow him. And these religious synagogue going people who look good on the outside, Jesus is with one statement going to show how broken they are on the inside. He's, let me tell you what my startup's going to be about. Now that I've declared I'm God, I'm the Messiah. All through the Old Testament, there were a lot of Hebrew people with, with leprosy. And God didn't heal any of them. But he did heal a Gentile, a rich, powerful ruler from the Syrian empire named Naaman. And he went and healed him of leprosy. In the same way, my startup's going to be about building friendships with people who believe differently than us, didn't grow up in synagogue, didn't grow up with temple, and and people who may even be rich and powerful like Naaman was, but people who are outside of the religious community. I'm going to prioritize friendships and walking with them to help them connect with God. Now, how do you think these rich... Not rich. These religious people respond to this emphasis on guests, on friends, on building friendship with people who believe differently than they do. They go from being so excited about him to, when they heard these things,
1: they were filled with
0: wrath. We don't want to reach out to our friends. We don't want to emphasize helping people who grew up differently than us, who, who grew up with the Greco-Roman ideas of the Greek gods, not our religious god. No. And so, they grab Jesus, who just said, we're going to emphasize our guests and friends who don't believe the way we do, and they march him up a hill, and they try and push him over a cliff. It's your typical church board meeting, honestly. (laughs) A lot of good ideas, Jesus gets pushed off the cliff. And in this passage, we find two things that are broken on the inside of us, both revealed here, and we'll get back to the leper in a second. Number one is that goodness can be the biggest blinder ...to you experiencing a connection with the real God. Now why is that? Because if you're good, you don't need God's goodness. If you're self-righteous, you don't need God's righteousness. And these synagogue-going people... ...are filled with wrath because, God, you owe us because of how good we've been. I can't believe you'd care about those people because of all the bad things they've done. And religion can be one of the most serious blinders to you experiencing God... Because self-righteousness, arrogance, demanding from God, He owes you because of what you've done for Him, can really keep you from connecting with God, understanding His mercy. But the second thing, back to our leper. He now looks good on the outside, but he's still broken on the inside. Because Jesus says, the one thing I want you to do is don't tell anyone but the priest that I've done this. However, the leper says to himself, I think people need to know. And this actually is fascinating because the Bible, Christianity diagnoses the fundamental problem in the human heart, the main problem. If you reduce all the other things down to one fundamental problem, it's that you and I think we know better than God. That's the fundamental problem in the human heart. We think we know better than God. You know why you worry? You think you know how it should go. It's not going how it should go. So you worry. Because you know better than God how life should be operating. You know why you're such a control freak? Because you know better than God how to control things. So you're going to control what God isn't controlling. Do you know why you're a perfectionist? It's driving you crazy and everybody around you. Because you're trying to be what only God can be perfect. Do you know why you struggle with forgiving or judging people? I know better than God who deserves a lightning bolt and who deserves a second chance. And my goodness, God gave two second chance to that guy and he deserves a lightning bolt. You think, and I think, we know better than God. We don't like his view of morality because we know better than this archaic book what should be right and what should be wrong. And that's the fundamental problem We think we know better than God. And even though we're cleansed on the outside, there's this arrogant hand in the air, I know better than you problem in every human heart. Our second character. We move from the leper to the paralytic. So a group of friends are bringing in their paralytic friend on a stretcher. And they want to see Jesus who's at a party, but they can't get to him because of the large crowd. Why is there a large crowd? Because of that leper who didn't obey Jesus and Jesus is trying to do one on one ministry he can't do the kind of ministry he wants to do because that leper told so many people that now the paralytic and his friends can't get to see him because the crowd's so big yet these friends are so committed to bringing their friend to have a connection with Jesus and a connection with God that they're like well we can't settle for that we're not going to leave until our friend gets a connection with God Now it says that he's paralyzed. So if we have a man who's paralyzed here, what is his biggest need? The obvious answer seems to be to not be paralyzed, right? But what we're going to discover from Jesus is that Jesus often says that the biggest need is not the most obvious need. And when Jesus is going to interact with this man in a few minutes, he actually doesn't address his paralysis first. He said, that's that's not his biggest need. Really? Have you seen what a day in the life of a paralyzed man is like? I think it's his biggest need. She's like, no, it's not. His biggest need is an inner need, a hidden need. And I want to address the biggest need, not the most obvious need. It's interesting because a lot of times you'll see people and think, well, they got their life together. They would never pursue God. They don't even need God And Jesus sees past all the veneer that we put up, all the masks we put on. He sees the needs we have beneath the thing we pretend to be. I was reading the story of David Bowie as he was wrestling with his own mortality in the last couple years of his life. He was talking about fame, you know, famous people, oh, they've made it, they're famous, they got money, they got power. He said, you know, the thing about fame is it's not going to get you much more than a good seat at a restaurant, He said, you know, in my day, and we had a very selfish generation, we thought you had to be good at something, and then you'd be famous for it. Now people don't even need to be good at anything. They'll do whatever it takes just to be famous. And what you're going to find is that fame ultimately leaves you empty. You'd think that David Bowie doesn't have a deep need, but God sees past Fame and fortune and power the things we think are solutions and sees an inner emptiness behind the fame, an inner emptiness behind wealth, an inner emptiness beyond a veneer pretending to be something you're not. And Jesus always sees the need, the real need, behind the obvious need. And so that's what he does in this story. So here's the the folks like, well, we gotta get Jesus, we've got to get our friend in to see Jesus. So so they climb up on top of the roof. And they get up on top of the roof. I'm okay, I'm okay. don't, Don't worry about me. So they get up on top of the roof and they're ripping open the roof and they see Jesus down there. And they take their paralyzed friend and they lower him down to meet with Jesus. And they go to great extremes to make sure their friend can connect with Jesus. As he comes down, Jesus sees Their faith, it says. Look at that. Not his faith. Jesus so honors the faith of friends who prioritize their friends and guests that he's going to do an incredible work in this friend's life because of caring friends who've built and served a hurting person. And look what he says. Jesus says, seeing their faith, which as an aside, when we began our church years ago, we decided not to do a bunch of TV advertisement or radio advertisement or a bunch of you know brochures all over the community, we decided we didn't want to be a big church, we wanted to be a personal church. Friends having real things happening in their life, telling real friends what's happening in their life, so those friends would maybe want some of the same stuff, meaning and purpose. So part of how our church began was personal handwritten letters, people inviting their actual friends to come to our church. We moved into this building, right beforehand we had a big party in here, And everyone was given personal handwritten notes or cards that they could write personal handwritten notes to invite people to come to this facility seven years ago. It's always been about this principle. Friends who care about their friends having a real relationship. And as the paralytic is brought down and Jesus sees their faith, he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. He's paralyzed. Why would you address the inner need for forgiveness first? Because Jesus meets the biggest need, not the most obvious need. And he says, behind all the other things you think this person might need or might have, what they really need is a connection with God, a deep sense of purpose, a connection to eternity, and that's what I'm going to address first. Now immediately, the the Pharisees and religious people who are there are shocked. No one can forgive sin but God! How dare you blaspheme and many, many people will say things like, Jesus never claimed to be God. He claims it all the time. You can agree with that or not agree with that. But Jesus is out of his, going out of his way to make sure people know he's claiming to be God. That's why he's accused of blasphemy, which means claiming to be God. And Jesus is claiming here that he can forgive sin. And this is both a Western and Eastern way of claiming to be God. I'll start with the Western way. So imagine you're, you know, You're having a fight with your your brother. You're you're a kid, you're sixth grade, and you have a fight with your brother and you punch your brother in the face. Boom, and he punches you in the face. Boom. And I walk up to the two of you who've just punched each other in the face and I say, I forgive you for punching each other in the face. See, that's weird, actually. Now, if you punch me in the face, it would make sense. I forgive you for punching me in the face. But for me to say that I can forgive you for punching somebody else in the face is strange. Unless I'm the ultimate standard of right and wrong, that when you do anything, gossip, lie, cheat, hit, it is against that person, but it's ultimately against the authority of the source of goodness, who I am. And that's what Jesus is claiming here, from a very Western philosophical way. He's saying, I am the ultimate standard of right and wrong, and therefore I can forgive you for what you do against someone else. But it's also very Eastern. Eastern. Because remember, this is an Eastern-thinking culture. These are Hebrews. Jesus is saying, right here at this dinner party, I can forgive you. If you asked a typical Hebrew, can you be forgiven of your sins? They would say, of course. They would say, well, how? You go to temple. There is one place that you can be forgiven. At temple, where heaven and earth come together, it's the one place God offers forgiveness through a very specific set of sacrifices and circumstances, and you can be forgiven of your sin but you can't be forgiven at a dinner party. You can't be forgiven at your house. When Jesus says, at this party, your sins are forgiven here, he is saying, I am God, and I am the place where heaven and earth meet. And wherever I go... I can do the things that only God in heaven can do. I can offer forgiveness here or there. I can heal here or there. And they're shocked knowing he is claiming to be God here in their midst. Now we move on to our third character. Our third character, which one doesn't belong? The leper, the paralytic... The tax collector. Now, tax collectors were very, very wealthy, very, very powerful. This one's man's name is Levi, also known as Matthew. And he has made a deal with the Roman government that he has the full authority of the Roman government to exert taxes. And because of that, he has bounty galore. Oh, my goodness, this guy is very, very bountiful. And where everyone else sees bounty, that guy must have his act together. If he complains about something nice, third world, first world problem. Where everyone else saw bounty, Jesus saw need. After these things, he went up and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he says, follow me. Jesus, whether you were rich or poor, powerful, famous or not, he saw through all of that and saw the steep spiritual needs behind everybody. This is a man who is incredibly lonely. He's got a lot of friends, but he also doesn't know when you go to befriend him, do you really want to be his friend or are you trying to get a cut of your taxes? Your son wants to date his daughter. Does he really want to date my daughter or is he after my cash as a tax collector? The unique fishbowl aspect of his life, the unique hatred he had and envy he had of the people around him, he never knew who his real friends were or where it was really safe to be real. I mean, if I put pictures of a hundred orphans from Cancun, Mexico, or Nicaragua up on the screen, how would you feel? Compassionate? A desire for mercy toward them? What if I then put a hundred pictures of the top hundred CEOs of American companies on the screen? How would you feel? Compassion? Mercy that they would know God? Or would it be envy? must be nice. Yet Jesus says the second group of pictures is the hardest to reach. It is easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a needle, or a camel to go through the eye of a needle, than a rich man to find God. Jesus always saw behind wealth and prosperity great spiritual need, and he certainly sees it here. So much so that where everybody else has shunned the tax collector, either because of, of anger, and he's done some wrong things, don't get me wrong, But he's been shunned. The religious people have said, tax collectors, thank goodness God I'm not like them. Hmm. Jesus saw past the bounty and saw need. I was reading the story of Billy Graham and Queen Elizabeth, and they have been friends for many, many years. And what's interesting, they, they replay this true story scene in a TV show called The Crown. Queen Elizabeth says, as meeting with Billy Graham, I love that message you gave about being a simple Christian. I long to be led by someone because I lead so much. She said, uh, you know, I'm actually the head of the church in England. So all the priests are beneath me. All the bishops are beneath me. There's no one above me but God in our hierarchy. And I need someone to help me with my unique struggles and my unique challenges of bringing my simple Christianity into my world. And she shared with Billy Graham that she struggles with forgiveness. And Billy Graham went out of his way every time he was in England to not see a woman who had it all together, who had all the power and might, must be nice, but to see a real person with real spiritual needs that he wanted to help get connected to God in a meaningful way. That's really what we're about as a church. I mentioned last week, just in seven days, some of the ways that we see God meeting people's needs. I wrote down just a few in the last seven or eight days. In the last uh, seven or eight days we had a young man in the church who needs a mentor, he needs a father figure because he doesn't have one in his life. We're getting him connected to our mentor to help him navigate some of the challenges of adolescence. Last couple of days I had a woman come into my office, she said, I really don't think I know what it means to know God. So I'd sat down with her and I went through John three sixteen. I said, here's the basics of the whole gospel the whole Bible. It's all about this. God loved, God gave, so we won't perish. We need to believe, we need to receive. Drew down a little napkin, she's like, I've been at church my whole life and I never understood that. I said, well, do you think you've received that before? No. Why don't we pray and do it now? She's like, I don't pray, 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 pray. I said, well, how about I'll say some words and you just repeat it to God. And we pray this. She's like, you've got to tell my boyfriend about this. This whole connected to God thing. Another couple called uh, this week into the office and they said, Hey, listen, we're spiritual amateurs and we're in our 50s and we, we feel like we're failing God. Uh, we need help to know how to connect with God. I said, Well, it's you and your, your, you and your uh, partner. I said, Well, is it like marriage stuff? We got some marriage classes we can do, or we got some people who could help you with some marriage counseling? No, listen, you're not listening. Oh, sorry. We don't know how to connect with God. Can you help us connect with God? Well, yeah, we can actually. Oh, well, that's what we want. I said, "Would you want to do this, uh, like, together? Or do you want to, we could do this right now. No, we want to do this together. So we got them connected to help them find God. Incredible story. Incredible. We had another uh, Bible study we were sharing at our off-site this week. Somebody said, you know, I'm involved in one of the most amazing Bible studies. I've been doing Bible studies for 20 years. And I've never had a Bible study like the one I'm in right now. Such diversity of opinions. People at very different places in their spiritual life. We are talking deeper about real, raw heart things and real, raw theological things like I've never been in a Bible study before, and yet there must be an F-bomb dropped in every other Bible study, if not every single one. I've never been in a Bible study like this. So real, so raw, and a lot of colorful language. And when you're reaching people at different places, that's exactly what you should experience. We're trying to create environments to help wherever you are, whether you've got clean language or bad language, whether you grew up religious or didn't grow up religious. We want to help people make the next step in connecting with God. So I think Jesus' application is pretty clear. What does it mean for you and I to start exploring where other people are hurting in the world, but also to start exploring where you're hurting in the world? to not even believe your own press about who you pretend to be, but to look at who you really are. Because Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors, throwing a party with these tax collectors, and Levi is so impacted by a religious person who doesn't want anything from him, wants to actually just be in a friendship with him, that he's like, I've got to introduce you to my friends. I've never been around a real religious person. I like hanging out with you. They're not even talking about religion. He likes being at parties with Jesus and invites Jesus to a party. So Jesus is now at Levi's house, having a party, walking alongside him and his friends, and the religious people are maybe looking in the window. This is very inappropriate. I wonder if Jesus realizes the kind of people he's hanging out with. We should probably tell him in the most inappropriate way possible. And so they step in, and the scribes and Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, You know, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repent. Now, do you think he's saying in that moment, The tax collector is the sinner and the religious people is not. And that's why it's so hard for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. That's why it's so hard for religious people to find God. They don't realize they're sick. They get their life preserver, their goodness or their traditions or their look how long I pray or look at how great Bible studies I have and they have everything but Jesus. They have their own self-righteousness. And until you realize you're sick, you're not going to go to the doctor. You're not going to be able to say the words of that first song. God, I need you. I really need you. And yet, you know, I would imagine if you're really honest with yourself, because I know I am. When I'm honest with myself and I look past the veneer of who I pretend to be, there's a lot of fears inside me. I'm always amazed at the fear of, of conflict or the fear of approval and how much that controls me and just how ashamed I can be at how, as much as I know God's my identity, how that can control me. I'm amazed at the sense of inadequacy that I feel sometimes as a, as a dad or as a husband. And, and I'm amazed that I need God to teach and, and instruct me in these things. How about you? If you look back to the veneer of your life Are you hurting? Are there sick spots in your life? Do you really need to explore areas you're hurting and need God to be your great physician? Do you have relationships where you're not real with other people because you're not sure what's safe or you can really be known? You're not sure who has an agenda, so you've not sure really gotten to know anybody or allowed anybody to get to know you? Jesus would call that sick. And so you need to pursue... Understanding yourself and having other people understand you as well. And so I would encourage you this year to make this a year of everyone you see, see them as spiritual beings with deep spiritual needs wherever they are on the economic spectrum. Look for people who are low on the economic spectrum that God may be calling you to help. And looking for people who are not low on the economic spectrum and don't presume. Anything but their real people who have real spiritual needs. And then look in the mirror and say, God, I want to walk and live in the reality that I am sick and need you to be my physician. And part of the series, we create some resources to help you with that. I don't know if you picked up one of these startup books, but one of the things we did in the startup book is we actually, after the Bible study portions of it, we had lots of questions. And those questions are designed for you to dig deeper and to figure out what God might be asking of you, stirring in you, Trying to help diagnose what's behind the obvious needs in your life. So you don't hide what's broken on the inside because you look so good on the outside. So here's five ways to connect as you go through this series together. Maybe you want to pick up this book and, and just ask God to use this book to, to reveal some of those hurting spots in you. Maybe you want to do it as a group. Maybe you want to get into one of our study groups. So start up this week. You can sign up for those online. In fact, if you go to horizoncc.com, you'll see on that website is a chance to sign up for our Horizon happenings, our weekly newsletter. That gives you links. Here's how to get involved. Here's how to get into group. Here's the different types of groups we have. Maybe you're looking for people who are hurting as you want to serve at Horizon. Maybe you want to attend a service and serve at a service. Because people have created this environment for our friends, just like he did with Levi. Did you know that Levi tax collector ends up writing a whole book of the Bible that we know is the book of Matthew? because jesus invested in friendships and maybe people invested and took care of kids or greeted you at the door and maybe it's time for you to do the same because you want to serve other people and create that kind of open environment maybe you want to serve here locally you want to go down and work with our teams at city gospel or build a habitat home because you want to see how god is going to use his spirit to speak to you about your need as you help people with other needs Maybe you want to go on our trips. We've got teams going down in about a week and a half, going down to Belize and to Cancun with some of our partners. And maybe you want to be part of that and see what God might do in a cross-cultural mission experience. Or maybe for you, and if you're a guest here today, this is not for you, but maybe you're at a place where you're like, you know, I really want to be part of giving to this. I believe in this organization. I believe in this startup that Jesus began, that we're continuing, which focuses on friends and says we want to create equipping environments and connecting environments. And maybe for you, that's giving financially to our operational fund, Maybe for you, you want to be part of this 125 additional seats that we're trying to put somewhere within the current blueprint. Uh, Turner Construction was out here. They've looked at some different areas, the youth theater, maybe some areas up in the office space. But we want to continue to create space for our friends. It'd be easy just to say, hey, successful, we're fine for the next decade or two. Or we could, like the Friends of the Paralytic did, we could dig, claw our way up, claw through some roof, change some things around so that all of our friends can come and connect with God. Now, if God's prompting you to do that, as I said uh, last month, we're trying to raise about a million dollars. We're about 30% of the way there. Maybe God's prompting you to be part of raising the money so we can put in video feeds to have live stream for our videos. You can send links to your friends or, or have more space for our friends in this custom area we're trying to design. We think it's going to cost about $200,000 additional operational budget because of the additional children's space that those families attend. That's a 20% increase. But I just ask, Is as God's prompting you Look at one of those five ways this year to serve. Connect with God through the Bible, through a study, through serving, or through giving. And let's have the heartbeat of Jesus that we're always about others, not about ourselves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this powerful series of stories and the reminder for each one of us that we are not what we pretend to be, that we do not have this. And Father, we just confess as a community that we don't have this. And we need you to prompt us, to draw us and connect us with you in new and powerful ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here today.